October 7th, we won't be in this building. We'll be outside, and hopefully it'll be a day like this for our 20th anniversary. So make sure you come and bring people. You can get them from anywhere. You know what the Scripture talks about, going out and checking in the brush and digging people out and bringing them to church. That'd be a good day to do that, actually. On, uh, and then after that, there's, well, there's going to be a, a catered meal down at uh, the Civic Center. I think it's airline crackers and juice, but it'll be fine. You'll like it. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that 20th anniversary, so that's a big deal. So I, I hope all, everyone can come. Bring your chairs and uh, we'll sit outside and uh, enjoy the day and what God has done, which has truly been a miracle. Uh, Ron Lucas and I was talking about that in the beginning, and there was no way a human could have orchestrated it. It had to be a God thing. So going from a note of being positive to what some might construe of negative is the title of this message this morning is what, What's Wrong with the Church? We are purveyors of truth, or we try to be, so to speak. And a lot of times in our lives, truth uh, speaks into us, and sometimes it bothers us to a degree because there's things in our life that we need to change. And sometimes we formulated this concept of, of what we think church is. Eugene Peterson, in his intro to the book of James, writes this, and I quote, and this is, this is pretty much the way it is. When Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Outsiders on observing this conclude that there is nothing to, be, nothing to the religion business except perhaps business and dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Many of the people outside the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It's similar with sinners outside the church. So, Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehaviors is brought out into the open, faced, and dealt with, end of quote. So that's a pretty good description, I think, of the church. Do you know what my definition of the church that a lot of people don't really like? I think it's that... We are all messed up, and we need God and each other to get through life. Nobody in this building today that has ever come since we've been crossroads is perfect. There's something lacking, and it's, it's, and it's part of, of who we are, actually, that we struggle with daily that it keeps it that way. See, this is what Paul was doing in his letter to the church at Corinth. He was calling them on the carpet. And the same issues that faced those people in Corinth thousands of years ago were faced with them as well. Nothing's really changed. Since the garden when Adam and Eve fell, human, human nature has not changed. It's stayed the same. Just It's been in different surroundings, different ages, different years, so to speak. You ever heard the word carnal or carnality? You might think maybe this is a theological word that they use yeah, in seminaries or in Bible colleges, but the word is on your menu at the Mexican restaurant. Chili con carne, it means chili with meat. 
We are all meat, flesh, and blood. The word carnal in the Bible refers to you and your earthly, unspiritual, polluted heritage, if you will. Carnal is your old nature. It's your old self. It's the flesh. It's the part that fights the world, the flesh, and the devil 24-7 as we live and breathe on this earth. So in chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the Corinthians carnal. He's saying, That's, this is what's wrong with the church. And he's telling them, guys, I, I came here, I planted this church, I spent a year and a half, 18 months with you, imparted the love of Christ, showed you how to live, talked to you about the Word, showed you how you should go out into this society and be salt and light. And then time passes and he gets this letter that they're doing just the opposite. Instead of them going into the culture to flavor it, the culture was flavoring them and they were bringing the world into the church. And I think I can safely say that this carnality is the problem with every church pretty much. Why? Because there's humans involved. 1 Corinthians 3.1, the King James Version. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. New Living Translation, same verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. It, it's, I like what the King James, that, that word carnal has a little more ump to it to me. And it's almost that we could add the word carnal to our long list of profanity that we Americans have adopted and use quite freely in everyday life. If you use profanity around me, it, 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 it bothers me, but not to the degree that you'll know it or I'm upset. I've been around it a lot in the Marine Corps and on the railroad. In the Marine Corps, I didn't know I had a real name. It was a two-syllable word. I'm not going to tell you what it was. But I'd even look at my dog tags to see if it was on there. It's around us. And I know my favorite story about profanity, um, I wasn't smart enough to go to college right out of high school, so I messed around too much. But when I went into the ministry and our first church was up north, I, I needed, my wife talked me in and says, well, you can do this, which I didn't think I could do. But nonetheless, she talked me into going to school. So I was in a psychology class, and this professor used more four-letter words than you can imagine, which kind of amazed me because it was a mixed company. There were young men and young women there, and then he was just cussing like crazy. I used to say cuss like a sailor, but that's derogatory towards sailors, and I, I don't do that anymore. Of course, I was in the Marine Corps, and that's a branch of the Navy, and that's another long story. But nonetheless, we went around one day, and he said, now, everybody, everybody's in this class. I want you to say your name and why you took this class. So we went around, and I was kind of toward the end, and I said, my name is Eddie, and I took this class because I'm a pastor here in Freeport, Illinois, and I thought maybe it might help my ministry. And then he got this real... I can't say what I'm thinking. Look on his face. <laughs> he goes, oh, I bet I've offended you. I said, nah, prof, you didn't bother me, but you sure offended God. He moved on. He never said, it. He never said another word, the, the thing about it. And, and I think that's what it does, isn't it? It offends God. I don't, we get so calloused in life, I don't think it bothers us so much, but 
it offends him. Here's a definition found on the internet, which you can find anything on the internet, but I, I thought it brings this word carnality or carnal into perspective. Let's watch. Carnality. Racy in nature, the lyrics of the song are lascivious and full of carnality. The carnality of the lover's relationship was strong, the physical aspect being the only thing that kept them together anymore. The spicy story contained a bit of carnality that wasn't considered appropriate for the time it was written in. Telling about their romp with a pulsating sense of carnality, the young mistress loved to brag about her erotic rendezvous. A sensual air of carnality filled the adult toy store where lots of lewd and fleshly products were sold. See, that has pucks a lot more punch than worldly to me. It, it brings it down and it, it focuses, well, it focuses on us as humans and, and who we really are. And that's, I think that, that, that is the, the point that the scripture is bringing out here. He, they want to make that, that really uh, clear, actually. You see the, the connotations for the word carnal, there's, there's nothing spiritual about them. And they're all tied to our old nature that is anti-God and always will be. As long as you breathe, you're going to have an old nature that hates God. That, that's the fight. That's the struggle we have. And you will have that till God stops your heart, and as I always say, they'll throw you in a box, we'll throw you out and take you out and put you in a hole and come back to the church and eat potato salad. And that's just pretty much the way it is. The old nature dies with you. Praise God for that. But until we leave this earth, we're going to fight it. And that's part of the struggle that you and I have daily, actually, if we're honest about it. It means fleshly lust, or an inherited nature that wars against God. The carnal spirit wants to live without God's moral and spiritual restraints. It wants to shake its fist in God's face and say, do not tell me what to do. I can make my own decisions. And that, that's, what we, that's what we struggle with. It doesn't want to be told what to do. It's self-centered. And the way that a person understands the carnality, the, the, the old nature, and who we are, it, 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 it has much to do with your theology, theo being God, theology, your knowledge about God. It has much to do with our understanding of God's salvation, faith, love, hope, and so forth. Two Greek words are sarks and sarkikos. The first word means flesh as opposed to the spirit. And the context of the word will tell you whether it means an attitude or a physical part of your body. And the second word means carnal or fleshy. The Old Testament word for flesh is basar and has the same meaning as sarks in the New Testament. Our physical part is made up of flesh and blood and bones. And our physical flesh is not sinful. The carnal part is what is called inbred sin or original depravity. That is different from our physical bodies. It is something that can be removed without dehumanizing us. This is not the, if this is not the way it was, Jesus would have been born in sin, but the Bible tells us he was born without sin. Adam and Eve were not created with a sin nature. I, I, I thought that was interesting. They weren't like the rest of us. So Christ and Adam and Eve, the only three humans in a sense ever born that didn't have this sin nature. In Psalm 51, 5, David said he was conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity. So from the time of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God to the present, every human that's born is born with a sin nature. 
and is under the control of the devil. Ephesians 2, 2, Paul said, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit of God or a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So this has brought God's wrath upon us, Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is really an idolater who worships the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the terrible anger of God comes upon all those who disobey him. So because of our sin condition, the whole human race needs a Savior to deliver us and for us to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and guide and direct us that we, keep, we start sinning less and less and less. We'll never reach perfection on this side of the river, but we should be making a, a dent in it, if you will. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 are a list of the works of the flesh. It's a list of the things that if we allow carnality to rule our lives, these will come out in our lives. It says, when you follow the desire of your sinful nature, which is the carnal nature, your lives will produce these evil results. This is what comes out. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We are told in the scripture that we cannot serve two masters. We are unable to save ourselves from this condition, nor can anyone else save us. We can now help ourselves, and that's why we need Christ to defeat Satan and to rule in our lives, that we're able to grow in Christ, actually. The only Savior we have is the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. The book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, we see how the Lord can deliver us from this sin nature. Romans 7.24, Paul asks, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Now, here's the champion of the faith. Here's a man that gave up his life, gave up a family, went into doing what God wanted him to do. He was beat. He was shipwrecked, thrown in prison. Here was a man that was closer to Christ than almost anybody you read about in the Scripture. And he says this, Oh, what a miserable person am I. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Then he answers the question in chapter 8, verse 2 of Romans. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And the Spirit of life that he is talking about is the Holy Spirit who is present at the creation of the world, Genesis 
1-2 tells us. He is the power for all the rebirth of every believer and the one who helps us live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit sets us free once and for all from sin and its natural consequences, which is death. So we talked about the carnal nature and the old nature and the results of that. We listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide and direct our lives. He speaks directly into our hearts and into our minds. He speaks through God's Word as we meditate on it. He tells us what's right and wrong for our choices that we all make. And he, can have, he helps us have power over the old nature. He's the only power that can help us overcome our carnality. He is our only hope. We're all tempted. It's, that's part of the deal. It's, it's, it's part of being human. It's part of life. But the choice we make when that temptation comes, that, that's the crux of the matter. You say... Help me, Jesus, which I say a thousand times a day sometimes when this happens, or you just kind of give in to it and go with the, with the flow, the, the old nature, the, the carnal nature that always trying to woo us and coax us back in what I call the mud. The Bible teaches that you and I were born in sin, for I was born a sinner, David said, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. My proof for this, you do not have to teach children to be bad. It comes natural. If you, if you would like for me to have a class on that, and, and if you don't think your children are bad enough, I'd be glad to do that. I, it's true. We have to teach them to be good. It, it, it comes, to me, that's so much proof that, that we're born with a sin nature because it's even, it's even in children. It, it, it comes, like I said, it comes natural. Ephesians 2.1, once you were dead doomed forever because of your sins. We are unable to save ourselves. Paul uses this word, sarkikos, in Romans 7, verse 14, when Paul admits it. I am carnal. I am sold under sin. Romans 7, 14 through 24, Paul said, the law is good then, the trouble is not with the law, but with me. He's taking responsibility. He's admitting it. It's funny how we are sometimes when we get caught in something. We, we like to point fingers. We're finger pointers. We, we like to blame somebody else, but it's, it's us. And on that day when you stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment, hopefully you won't be there. For the believers, it's the judgment seat of Christ there's not going to be anybody to pull in front of you or point to. It's, it's going to be you. And that Paul is showing us this. The trouble is not with the law. It's not with God. But it's with me. Because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself because it is the sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I 
what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me. That is the war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin? So through Christ we are rescued and redeemed, Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore he is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through him. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. And then in Titus 2, 11 through 14, the Scripture tells us how to live. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. While we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed and doing what is right. This sets us free from the carnal spirit and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And with this, this is done, we are able to love God and others without being a phony. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. The purpose of my instruction is that all the Christians there would be filled, there would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. Some teachers have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time arguing, talking foolishness. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they seem so confident. So now we see what's wrong with the church. There are people involved. The only time there is a perfect church is when there are no people inside that building. It's the only time. Because there's humans involved. It, it, it is what it is. And some of the things that Paul's pointing out for the Corinthians, the Holy Spirit points out to us here at Crossroads. You cannot afford to allow your old fleshy carnal nature to run your life. You will be the most miserable person on this earth. When I read that scripture about 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7, if we live like this, we won't be a phony. I was a phony for years. Because I've told you this before, we can fool each other. When I was on the railroad and was gone and doing some of the things that, that I did, I would come home on weekends, go to church, shake hands, hug people, and smile. Boy, you know that, Eddie, he's, he's a good guy. But they're not God, and they couldn't see inside because inside was totally black. I, I was allowing the carnal nature to take over again. And even worse than that, the Holy Spirit would just be busting down my heart, but, but I didn't listen. It goes back to that carnal nature being in charge. Man, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. I like to get drunk. I like to smoke dope. I don't want to quit. And sometimes we have that attitude, even, even believers. You know what, God? I'm going to dabble around that mud because you told me you'd save me. I'm not, I'm not going to change. But we, we miss the whole point in that because other than destroying your body, 
when you're out there in this, living this carnal life, you are creating consequences that will last an entire lifetime. There are people that come to faith and go back into carnality and do all manner of things, and God forgives them over and over and over again, but they have created this mess that's going to stick with them. And when people look at them, they see the mess over the new creation sometimes, if you get my point. Because when we are living in carnality, we are disobedient, we're out of God's will, and you'll regret it your entire life. So it comes down to this as far as choices. Who's running your life today? It's just for you and God now. You've got to answer that. Is it, is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it your old carnal nature that hates God? So this morning as we land this plane, so to speak, if you've got a huge sense this morning on your heart to pray, pray where you are. If you want another brother and sister to lay a hand on you and pray for you in love, we don't even have to exchange words. You can kneel here and somebody will pray with you. Feel free. This altar is always open for that. If you've never accepted Christ this morning, we would love to show you how to do that. Oh, my thing, I say this every week, is I want you to leave free. I don't want, I don't want you to leave with all these burdens, all this stuff that's hanging on you that Christ says that we can lay it down and leave totally free. Because if the Spirit sets you free, you will live free indeed. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for my friends here. I pray, God, that as we close here this morning that we're dishonest with you, and I, I pray that all the time because I know we can fool you or try to. I tried for years, and it don't work. <laughs> As David said, I can go to the pits of hell and God, you're there. Or I can go to the highest part of heaven and you're there as well and all parts in between. So right now, Holy Spirit, as you meddle with our hearts, as you touch them, as you tinker with them, may we just be honest. We know who we are, Lord. And uh, you know what you want us to be. So... Right now, I just pray, Father, that uh, we're just open to you. Thanks again for loving us. Thank you for this time that we can share as your family in your house. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.